I thought you were dead. Sun out of your eyes and be yourself. Heard you were dead. She's dead, wrapped in plastic. That man's dead back then. It was worse than dead. He must be dead. Is this a dead man, Ducky? Early birds getting that worm out west. Yeah. yeah, so hello, welcome to Rose Mortem. It's the only show worth quoting on any of your thesis papers. We're doing a morning show. Uh, if I didn't lay that on thick enough, it's different. Yeah, I still have my morning wood. It's still burning off. It usually takes about uh, five hours or so for it to go down. Um, You've never called a doctor ever, have you? No, I don't believe in doctors. Uh, well, my doctor is Anthony Fauci. He's just a very busy man. It's hard for me to get an appointment. So It's been a couple of years without a checkup for Travis. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Anthony Fauci is just in his room playing Final Fantasy. Don't bother me. I'm putting a world eight. together. Do we even introduce ourselves? We don't do this in the morning. I'm Tom. I'm Travis. And I'm Connor. No Mike again. And yeah, and it's still the morning. Yeah, it's still the morning. Really How's is. your morning? How's your morning, guys? How's your morning? <sighs> well, it's very snowy out here. Yesterday was a snowstorm. In fact, um, yeah, can you can you even see out of your window there? You're in the basement. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I I boarded that up. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't want to no see snow outside. drifting through. <laughs> I'm not happy with the snow. I did have to go to the hospital today to take a COVID test pre-surgery ah uh, yeah and when i got there i was only there for like three minutes because you get in the car you get in a line on the car and they're like hey uh you have an appointment and they go yeah and they do the swab right there the woman's like have you had covid recently i said yes i've had that fake disease and she goes uh well then why are you here didn't they clear you it's like a 90-day thing and i was like i tried to but the nurse <laughs> didn't listen because these people <laughs> don't listen so i'm i'm a little worried I'm going in for tonsils. Might get my balls scraped out. <laughs> what are these big boys here? We got to take those off. Yeah, so that's my. Just remember you... to sit in the right place. That way, your head is where the surgery is going to be. Otherwise, yeah. you know. <laughs> I'm gonna wear a shitty diaper. So, yeah. if, like that does happen. It's like how? How did you get that far? <laughs> you wear a chastity belt, maybe. Just really keep it all protected. I'll just rubber band it up so it looks weird. <laughs> And he's like, well, it looks like a pinhead. A little zippy. Yeah, scary. I'll powder it. I'll make it, I'll put a Jack being rough around it. <laughs> uh, Connor, how's your morning going? My morning's been uh, good. Also dealing with the snow. Walked to the store today, trudging through all the slush. Nothing like that good New York City slush after a snowstorm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. City yeah. is hell when it's snowing. Real goopy already like deep black color not even brown just skips right to like just this heinous looking thing it's great yeah talk about dirty diapers that's like new york city snow after yeah. one day yeah this is why people pay extra <laughs> yeah. to live like that mm -hmm. uh, i think it's good i think it keeps you grounded it's culture it's, it's wonderful yeah that's what frank sinatra was singing about yeah uh travis well, uh, I mean, I just I just woke up, so I really haven't done anything with the Starbucks. I did see um, Nightmare Alley last night. Oh, how probably was that? one of the best movies I've seen in like a decade. 
Really what, good. What is that one? It's a long time frame. Yeah, it, it was uh, Del Toro, uh, Guillermo Del Toro, Bradley Cooper. Um, it's about like a dude who joins like a uh, circus and then he becomes a magician and like a clairvoyant. It's like a lot of the shit that we talk about. These like fraud people that like, like we did with Helen Duncan and all these people that are like, they, they start off as like magicians and then all of a sudden they see the money of like, you know, becoming like a clairvoyant and talking with the dead. And it was a really good movie. Mm. All right. I had given up on guilt, uh, Guillermo del Toro because of the shape of water. Oh, this is, I hated the shape of water. I don't want to have shape sex of, with fish people. It was terrible. That was a bad movie. It. That was this like, one's, I don't know. And it climbed the Academy Awards, which further proves the narrative of them sucking asses. Well, this one's been like getting shit on by critics, and I'm like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Like, so it just came out. Apparently, it tanked in the fall. It came out in color, but he shot it for it to be black and white. So right now in the theaters, you can see it in black and white. And that's what I saw it, and it's fucking red. Hmm. All right, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Your taste is pretty good. Check it out. I mean, it's got uh, Willem Dafoe in it. He plays a oh. mean carny guy who turns people into geeks. You could have said Willem Dafoe is a carny, and yeah. then not anything else. I'd be interested in watching. Yeah, turning people into geeks is what he does in his free time. So I can imagine <laughs> yeah. he does it fantastically on screen. Mm -hmm. All right, let's get to part two of this. Krups. Connor. Alfie boy. Alfie. All right. So I think we left off last time. Forgive me if I'm wrong. It's the mid-1860s, and the Krupp firm is on the ascendance. They've got their patented railroad wheels. They're starting to sell some guns, and things are looking good for Alfred. Um, one big thing, though, is that he's been selling these cannons, making these cannons, loves his cannons, but they hadn't gotten used in a major war at all. Um, not that Europe was like super peaceful at the time, but just his customers weren't fighting with them on any large-scale battles. That's all about to change and change big time in the next 10 years. Because in 1864, Prussia and Austria are going to war with Denmark, of all places. Uh, I want to go to war with Denmark. Why are they so goddamn happy? Well, those countries, they're too happy. You know when someone's, like, too cheery to you, like an Outback, um, like an outback waiter, waiter <laughs> who sits down next to you and gives you the pumpernickel bread? I don't trust them. Yeah, it's now, like, cool it, pal. I'm not making a joke here, but I think a big part of their happiness and, and this, like, weird facade they put on, I think, I think they're all criminals, firstly, because I think they hate black people. Um, <laughs> that's really the Denmark way. Um, well. Historically speaking... They're not very kind. Don't they have that whole holiday where it's like they all put on blackface? Yeah, but you know that we probably would have the same holiday if there wasn't as many black people in America because we're also terrible. Look, as, as weird as it's been <laughs> recently, at least we're facing these problems. Over there, they're just like, maybe we just don't publicize them as much. And they're going to turn telling it people about Blackface Day. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's yeah, going to be okay. a weird like get out situation uh, happening in that area of the world very soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I don't know if that was why Prussia and Austria wanted to go to war with Denmark. Maybe it played a role. Uh, but mainly it was Prussia had designs on this area of land that Denmark controlled. This was before Denmark was just that tiny little peninsula, like stub, like skin tag on Germany's north border, basically. Okay. Um, they controlled a lot of that land. So Prussia and Austria decide no more. We're going to sweep through and conquer it. 
And sadly for our boy Alfie Krupp, they do such a good job that the artillery doesn't see much action. It performs well when it's needed, but it's so such a quick war that no one really knows. It hasn't met its acid test yet, basically. Uh, but the business is still looking great. The U.S., uh, just coming out of the Civil War, their industry is uh, not geared towards the railroads. So that allows Alfred to start selling more and more railroad wheels because the U.S. steel industry hasn't taken off just yet. Got to get in there so you can build your choo-choos. Yeah. I love watching the choo-choos. That, see, this is why we can't record in the mornings because this is my designated time to watch the choo-choos. I sit on the train tracks. I pick up dead raccoons and shit that have been hit the night before, so the choo-choos stay clean, and then I watch the choo-choos all day. Yeah, you're not excited enough right now. Let's be honest, yeah. we're all not that excited right now because of the time of the day, but um, choo-choos. either way, choo-choos, think about your choo-choos, start stomping on the ground like you do. There we go. There, yeah. that's Travis. There he Alfred is. Alfred helped build all those choo-choos. You're going to be excited to learn about Alfred. Oh, okay, cool. More choo-choos, please. Uh, well, we're about to turn away from the choo-choos and back to the guns. Because, despite just helping conquer uh, Denmark together, Prussia and Austria not being friendly anymore. And it looks like war is about to break out between the Prussians and the Austrians. No um, good. And, no, no good at all. No bueno. The uh, Prussians, so Kaiser Wilhelm and Otto von Bismarck, go to Krupp. And say, hey, we know you've been selling weapons to the Austrians also. You should probably stop selling weapons to the Austrians, considering you're a Prussian and we're about to go to war with them. And Alfred either pretended to not understand why this would be a problem, or ignored that he everyone thought it was a problem, and just continued to try to sell guns to both sides of the war. It's like, sorry, I don't speak German. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? It's like, Alfred, you are, you're, you are German. <laughs> He speaks in Benjamins, per se, which is a currency they don't use. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And Merkels. <laughs> yeah, Merkels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he truly didn't understand why people would be upset when it's like, he is a Prussian selling arms to the Prussian army and now is selling arms to the Austrians who are going to go to war against the Prussians. <laughs> it's um, just gun. Yeah, it's just a gun, man. Like, come on. Uh, and this is going to be a recurring theme for the entirety of not just Alfred's life, but like the whole Krupp family. Um, so, for example, in World War One, as the British and Germans are shelling each other, the British shells had uh, imprinted on the side of them the word Krupp, because that was part of the patent that they had in Britain, was that no matter when it was made, it had to have the Krupp name on it. Oh, okay. So the Krupp shells would be bombing the Germans in World War One. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get to that later, eventually. Because um, war eventually breaks out between Prussia and Austria. Everyone's expecting a long war that Austria will most likely win. And in seven weeks, the Prussians mop up the Austrians completely. They wow. completely smash them. It's a quick smash. What is the name of that conflict? Or is it just uh, like, does it have a name? Austro-Prussian War. It's the one, so it's like the three series of wars that unified Germany. It's the war with Denmark. The war against Austria and then the war against France that we'll talk about later. I feel like there's so many little tiny wars that everyone forgets about in like the 19th century. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, like 
one of the bigger ones that I guess some people know is like Crimea and all that stuff. But there's all these little tiny little ones that you're like, oh, that's a little baby war. They didn't even have any choo-choos in that country. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're like very focused on the macro level stuff. Like we were given the Great War and then the sequel. Yeah. And that's what we're taught as Americans. It's like, yeah. eh, you know, it's the revolutionary civil. We only know four wars, a disagreement, and then uh, hippies being mad. That's all yeah. we yeah. know. Yeah, it's true. And then and when it, we beat the terrorists, don't forget yeah. we beat the terrorists. Tom. We are still, we are still fighting that war, <laughs> and we're still beating that. Well, yeah. we just that's can't let them win. Us. We just can't let them win. That's all. They can keep playing. Yeah. They can do really, really, really well. We just can't let them win in the end. As long as you're not afraid, we've won. <laughs> I'm just glad Biden took the troops out so we can continue the war over here and really yeah. focus our efforts. We got to start yeah. just like, I don't know, there's no urban warfare left. We got to just start it in the streets with our na- army. Let's get Kurt Russell on the phone. Let's have yeah. him do some set decorating Yeah, and get to war. <laughs> A little street war. Uh, so at the end of this one, though, Prussia is now... Uh, Representing the, all the German states, there's this big thing called the North German Confederation, but still no Germany. Alfred didn't care about any of this. All he was thinking about this whole time was, are my guns doing well? Are my, are my babies performing as they should? Mm-hmm. And that was how he referred to them in his letters that he sent to the general staff that he was friendly with. He would like ask after his children, but what he meant was, how's the artillery doing? <laughs> nice. Um one of his friends, a General Constantine Voigt Retz, wrote to Alfred and said, These children of yours conversed for long, hot hours with their Austrian cousins. Ew. That sounds kind of... Se- that sounds like a Pornhub write-up. Little, little vaguely sexual, right? <laughs> yeah. That phrasing is ridiculous. Yeah. That's some, that and is some Arrested Development-style phrasing. Yeah, these also, children of yours. <laughs> also, I feel like it doesn't matter what you make. If you call your product children, they're like automatically like a Bond villain. Like you're yeah. making donuts, and you're like, how are my children? Would you like a dozen of my children for you, please? Would you, would you like coffee with those children? It's I think like using making... the possessive my makes it yeah. creepier. <laughs> yeah, that makes it creepier. Yeah. Well, you can say the. I feel like the is even worse. Yeah, but would the you... children is, the, is bad, but the anything. <laughs> <laughs> is okay. Anything but children or babies. But the product name is fine. Yeah, yeah but, but oh yeah, okay. It's like even if you're making life-saving like cancer medicine, if you ask like, "Oh, did my children do well?" You'd be like, mm, <laughs> "I'll keep the leukemia maybe." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll go somewhere else. I don't want your children inside of me if that's what you're trying to refer. <laughs> oh, bring me your sick child. I have children to put in them. <laughs> yeah, my vaccine is just like a spider laying eggs in your neck. My children will emerge. <laughs> cool. So Alfred's children uh, had most of the part done well, um, but there were a few setbacks that would drive Alfred insane. Because uh, despite, like I said, for the most part, they performed well. There were a few cases where the uh, because these are breech loading, which is like a revolutionary technology that no one trusted. Anytime they'd misperformed, it was like a spotlight shining on them. Right. And there were three or four instances where a gun exploded and destroyed the gun and killed the crew and surrounding soldiers. So Alfred was freaking out. And again, this is minor instances. That also happened with the traditional bronze cannons like all the time, though. (laughs) Yeah. And (laughs) so 
Even the ones that didn't like malfunction like this were outranging the Austrian cannon and like paving the way to the victory of the Prussians. But because there was these five instances, everyone's like, oh no, maybe, oh. maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe back to bronze. That's why we got to start making nuclear power plants again. There's just a couple little incidents, little baby boys, Chernobyl. Now we have better foxes in Chernobyl that can, they're evolving. I'm 100% yeah. pro-nuclear. Me too. Oh, we all should be pro-nuclear. Yeah, it's, it's crazy that like the boomer hippies are like, no, it's going to destroy our earth that we destroyed. So keep burning <laughs> coal. Yeah. <laughs> Like, even the, the ones who are, like, eco-friendly, who don't understand anything about it and haven't read an article about it since the 60s. And they're yeah. like, no, it's bad. It's just like, yeah, mm, no, yeah, there's a couple problems that's, that did happen, but now I think we should trust it. And they go yeah. sunbathing every day and get irradiated by the sun. They're like, it's bad. <laughs> it's so bad, bad for you. It's so bad. So Alfred does not celebrate this victory of Prussia at all. Instead, he leaves Essen the moment he gets these letters saying that, like, some of the guns malfunctioned and uh, flees to the southern French shore to Nice, where his wife, uh, Bertha, and her, his son, Fritz, are hanging out. Nice. Now, it seems like when he showed up, because, again, he, this is like he flew into a panic and took the next train there. Bert, when he shows up, Bertha's like, whoa, whoa, whoa what, are you, what are you doing here? Why, is, why are you here? This is my place where I get to hang out with all my friends and the people I'm cheating on you with. Right, and he paid for the place, right? Yeah, and Good. he's paying for the place, and he's freaking out. All he's like, he's like, we're ruined, we're ruined. The, the firm's going to go under. No one's going to buy from us ever again. Uh, which is not true, because again, it was only a few instances where the guns didn't perform. But he stays away from Essen for over a year, uh, just... Still, like, he's, like, staying in his uh, bedrooms for days on end, not talking to anyone, just, like, scribbling off little notes in pencil. Kind of loses it a little bit. Okay. People just come in to visit him. He's like, get out of my zone! Get yeah. out of my zone, dog! Uh, he eventually recovers, mostly because he just starts working harder and harder. Uh, it's around this time that the Bessemer process is introduced. This is another, like, steel innovation that starts in England and spreads. So now he can, like, build even bigger and bigger factories. Um, and at this point, everyone is saying, all the German, uh, German generals are saying, we should equip the entire army with Krupp steel cannons. So he is starting to finally win the war over bronze. Um, and he offers to swap out 400 of the older guns for 400 newer ones. Everyone loves that. They're like, oh, he's like, I fixed the problem that caused those five to explode, and I'll replace all of them free of charge. That's he gets to take service. the steel and reuse the material, right? Yeah. Like, so. he's like, it's, yeah, it's just replacing them. And, but this is also, he's like kind of revolutionizing these business practices because most firms weren't doing stuff like this. And this is just another one of his like weird innovations that he kind of stumbles upon. He's the, uh, the Selfridge of arms deals. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. The war criminals always come first. Oh, absolutely. Always. <laughs> Every time. Uh, so after the war with uh, Austria has been over, now Alfred goes right back to selling guns to anyone who will buy them. Uh, his dream customer is the British. That's who he always really wanted to sell the guns to because, again, this guy loves the English so much he changed his name to a more English version. Uh, I think I'm going to do that. I want to change my name to, to, to Lee to Smith. 
from Lee to Smith. It's a little bit more English. <laughs> I feel like that's less British. Oh, yeah. All right. Maybe, uh, I don't know, Waddingford. Just there change your middle name to Crumpet. <laughs> mm. Crumpet, okay. Crumpet. Travis Crumpet Lee. Yeah. Crumpet. And you just have to start going by the full name. You just... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I was uh, in a Wikipedia hole, and I discovered that one of the guys behind some of the Bond films, his last name was Broccoli. Oh, I thought chick, of you. Barbara Broccoli. She still produces them. Oh, does she? Oh, the, <laughs> yeah. the father or, or whatever. Yeah, I guess like she took over, I think, in the 80s or something. Love these broccoli people. <laughs> Very English. Very English. I have a, a friend of a friend whose last name is spelled similar to broccoli, but it's pronounced broccoli, but no one, everyone just calls him broccoli. <laughs> That's broccoli. Yeah. I know, right? It's like, come on, just just go with it. Changed my first name to Brock. Yeah. Broccoli. Yeah. There you go. Uh, so in 1868, ha- uh, Alfred has one of his uh, favorite things to do. He has a big exhibition again. So guess what? Time to display a new gun. This one, a 14-incher, which is the diameter of the barrel. So you can see how big these guns are getting. Wow. Um, and another big steel ingot, because who doesn't love a big steel ingot? Did this one break through the floor and almost kill the judges no. again? <laughs> he sent ahead and told them how much it was going to weigh, and then sent like uh, his own steel support beams to reinforce the floor before bringing <laughs> his 88,000-pound steel ingot. <laughs> 88,000 pounds? 88,000. Why didn't they just leave it outside? What's the point of reinforcing the floor? Just leave, put a tent over it and leave it outside. Because everyone loved it so much when it broke through the floor last time. It's let's see if it can break through the reinforced floor. Here we are. We're gonna we're gonna set this up here and just to prove how good we are at reinforcing these floors, we're gonna put the revolutionary cribs that we've been developing with these babies in it. And we'll we'll see. I mean, we'll we'll, see I have a lot goes. of faith in these beams, but if not, it'll still be a show. My giant child was coming. They're all orphans, by the way. So no worries. Yeah. Um, now, this was an exhibition in Paris. So, of course, he's trying to sell guns to the French, despite the fact that German and French tensions are starting to boil up at this point. He reaches a deal with the French to sell them cannon, but it's only stopped when a French firm kind of goes public and is like, hey, the French government's going to buy from Germans, not French, and they have to back out. He's still selling guns to the Russians. Uh, he is actually, the Russians are his largest client at this point. He's selling all the cannons he can to the Tsars. And he would continue to do that for the rest of his life. Russia would always be his biggest supplier, and then eventually it would be Germany, but for the most part it was Russia. Um, and he saw no problem with this. He just thought it was fine. You know, like, no, I sell guns to everybody. Anyone who wants them can buy them. Uh, uh, someone Krups, with, Krups doesn't kill people. The other people do. Yeah, nation states don't. Yeah. Uh, kill people. Not not the cannons that uh, everyone sells to them. My children decimate them. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just evening the playing field. Let's be real. Like, there there's some political pushback on this because, of course, you don't want them to have these premium guns, your enemies. Yeah. But, like, in all fairness, if you're going to war, you're going to war. And yeah. You gotta you gotta bring the right pair of boots. <sighs> Yeah, it'd be like it'd be like Tom. Like, would you like to play an excellent round of Halo Infinite with me? And but you have to use like an Ata- old Atari joystick. To sure, control yeah. Master Chef. Exactly. Yeah, Master Chef. <laughs> You're playing on an Etch a Sketch. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. 
Yeah, so Alfred, though, the firm is just growing so powerful at this point that uh, one French foreign minister called the Krupp firm a state within a state. Um, and he's kind of acting as if he's the head of state. He's receiving royalty at his uh, house uh, as from as far as like the Emperor of Japan, uh, governments in South America, all these different governments in Africa and the Middle East continually come to him to try and buy guns. And Alfred was always really jealous when the Prussian government ever th- uh, tried to buy weapons from another firm. So despite selling to everyone, if, Jer- if Prussia tried to buy from somebody else, he would lose it. He would be like flying to a rage and threaten to move the factory to either... One time he almost moved to Montgomery, Alabama, which, wow, would have oh, been wow. crazy. And then Russia was the place that he was always threatening to go to as well. That uh, that's like a thing that's, that's I feel like just happens all the time now with these big businesses, right? Like that was like Elon, where he's like, "We're moving the Tesla factory," or like, you know, yeah. they they bid off of these different cities, like you know, Amazon and Walmart and all that. I shit. mean, those incentives are very different, though. This is like, hey, uh, you buy from me, or else. Um, that's yeah. like NAFTA shit. Yeah, what you're talking. About. That's not. That's more like, ah, oh, you know, the taxes are just. Uh, I get. Well, I guess maybe Elon made it a little bit more political with his move. Uh, it seemed like it was like semi-taxis and then semi-like, I don't want to be around them liberals. Isn't he like a fake liberal anyway? Uh, he's like an idiot. That's all he is. Yeah, yeah I, his, I don't like him. He's just not very bright. No, he's a blood money man, right? Blood diamonds? Oh, yeah. Blood yeah. diamonds. Blood yeah. diamonds. I'm on Harry. Scoot around that one. Yeah. Uh... So that's where Alfred is in the late 1860s. And now we got to talk about something that's been near and dear to Alfred's heart around this time. Because he had outgrown, well, obviously, Berta had left Essen for a while now. So the garden house was a failure. And Alfred was like, I need a proper estate if I'm going to be running this giant empire that I am. So it's time to build me a big uh, country estate in the outskirts of Essen. So for the last five years, Alfred had been scouring for architects looking to build his house. Uh, he decided on the best architect in all of Europe in his mind, which is himself. So he designed this whole house. <laughs> Hell yeah. Awesome. Hell yeah. I'm going He's to like, hmm, who else can build a house for me? No one. So, so it's also, my turn. So you mentioned it's also on the outskirts of Essen, so I'm assuming it's still very smoggy. It's still probably not very pleasant to be. It actually was far enough away to avoid that because... Okay. One of his ideas was, one, to build this house to receive guests of honor and all that. And then the second thing was, well, Berta left because of the smog, so if I move far enough out, maybe she'll come back and live <laughs> in my house with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe my wife will come back to me if I build her a big estate. <laughs> maybe she'll send back those scantrons a little quicker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to move back with me, yes or no? <laughs> no. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he's looking for available land. Um, when I was reading up on it, it's not worth getting into the details, but it reminded me of when Walt Disney was buying up the plots in Florida for Disney World, where it's like through these shell companies and like all these different arrangements. And then once people start to put together, like there's a big buyer coming for this huge tract of land, then the prices start shooting up and all that. Right, right. Yeah, so he's eventually able to do it, gets all the land that he needs. Um, he builds this huge tower. Because it's all this, these hills that have no trees, so it's all barren, so he can look around. Builds this huge tower and has it portable, 
where he would be at the top of the tower and like a crew of workers would move it around <laughs> until while he's like scouting it out until he figured out the best spot to put the foundation. He's like oh. he's like Rich Dale Gribble. <laughs> Octavio, keep moving. I can keep almost going. see the factory. <laughs> Little on left. Yeah. That's basically what he's doing. <clears throat> So now he's got his lambs. He's got the place where the foundation is. So now it's time to design his dream home. So what would... We've talked about this man for a while now. What do you think his dream home would be like? I mean, it would definitely have stables. Oh, yes. Big, big stables. <laughs> big stables. Yep. Uh, big part of it. No doors, because he likes to walk around everywhere. I don't know about the door situation, but... Until like the mid 1900s, which is like 100 years after it's built, no one knew how many rooms it had because it had so many rooms and corridors to like walk around and through. Oh, wow. So, yes. So, yeah, lots of different areas for his own breath to. Yeah, well, I, I, was, I don't awesome. think we didn't have like, but this is what the 1870s now? Yeah, so this is 1865 is when he started the plans, right, so, and then 1870 is when he starts building. So, electricity, not so much, but I was thinking like a fan system. But like, maybe... yeah, lots of ventilators. Okay. He, seal, he sealed the windows, the windows could not be opened. <laughs> oh, wow. So he built, he did that and then built a ventilation system throughout the house that would like pump air throughout the rooms. He had this idea that he wanted uh, each room to be able to be temperature controlled. So that was part of sealing the windows. Um, it never, none of this ever really worked out that well. It was constantly under repairs because of this until his grandson in like the 1920s like gutted it and refurbished it in a normal way. But yeah, definitely a big point. You're getting it all right, Travis. Really? I'm, I'm just going over the things I re- from what I remember in the last episode of what he was, like, afraid of. He's just, like, checking all those boxes. Yep. No Staying fire. still, man. No, it's, basically, it's basically like the Zelda water temple because he hates fire. Am I right on no that? Wooden, no wooden beams. <laughs> yeah. What? Smart. The entire thing was going to be built out of steel and stone. That's he said no wood in the entire house because he was afraid of fire. What? Really? Wow. Yeah. No wood. <laughs> I want to see him try to make steel clothing. Right? He probably was looking at designs for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell me more about this house because I'm before I start guessing. Yeah. yeah. So that we got we got the most of the cover. Uh, it's going to be a big grand estate. We got the most part right. It's called Via Hugel. Hugel means hill. So it's just villa on the hill. Um, like I said, uh, no wooden beams, only steel and stone. There were no gas mains either because you didn't want gas lines running through the house. Um, so it was always really fucking cold in the winter and really, really hot in the summer because again, the windows are sealed. There's no gas mains and there's no electricity. Yeah, this is what there's 300 rooms of tiny little corridors. This is what happens to you when you live in the future in your brain. Yeah. But you actually live in the past, like in 1870 and you try to invent uh, HVAC systems. Yeah, right? it's gonna fail. What did he use for light? Because I know there was like uh, gas lighting back in the day. It was, and there was probably also, like, like uh, oil lamps and um, candles. Okay. Really. <laughs> um, but also, he, remember he because he was an insomniac, he was always up at night and writing in the dark. So he learned he from a young age could read and write in the dark, and so he was always like scribbling notes when he was like in the a dark office or in his bedroom. I'm like a little vampire boy. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah, he's a weird. I skipped over a part where there's like one story where 
he just is underneath the covers of his bed for like 48 hours while sketching out plans in the darkness. <laughs> I finished. It's yeah. like the back of a back of a uh, a table mat from like Friendlies or something that Dude. a kid scribbles on. You know, you know they say you got carrots is good for your dark vision, your night eye vision, and <laughs> ho- horses like carrots, and horses poop is just carrot meat. Yeah. Isn't the carrots are good for your eyes? That's fake. Yeah. We all, yeah. that was like a propaganda <laughs> yeah. bit or something. Yeah, it's just like carrots are good for you. So we came up with the idea. Where it's like, well, if we say it's good for your eyes, then everyone's gonna love it. Well, <laughs> I think it was a victory garden thing. Oh, okay. I think they were incentivizing yeah. people to grow like the most. Like the quickest growing cold weather plant that they could, yeah. and least uh, like intensive. Yeah, exactly. So like, yeah, eat a lot of carrots and grow them yourself, you fucking peasants. And then you can shoot down the Germans when they invade. Yeah. Exactly. It that all comes like, together. That was like the U.S. in the 1970s, where high fructose corn syrup is great for you. Yeah, we still it's haven't delicious. learned that lesson. Yeah, we um, still haven't re- re- like really pulled that one back at all, which is yeah. very strange. Like, I feel like more people know that carrots are. Like just okay, yeah. Well, and, keep uh, keep raising y- the tax on my bad cigarettes and keep lowering the tax on high fructose corn syrup, please. Yep. Th- they they give those farmers money to not be making it, <laughs> and they still make it because it's such mm-hmm. garbage. Yeah. And we just keep lapping it up. I'm big just big on lapper. Well, you know what? I can't talk too much shit about corn because I like corn nuts. Okay, big corn nuts guy. Yeah. Corn oh. is good. Popcorn. Popcorn's Delicious. good, but have you really dove into a five-pound bag of corn nuts before? I think you I've had them before. Yeah, well, you've that's, had, you've that's... You know, you're going to look at popcorn a little differently All right, after you so, spend a few nights. So this is a low-lit house. Yeah, so we didn't get to the coup de gras. Um, but first, before that, he also had this master bedroom that he never spent time in because, again, he was an insomniac that was afraid of spending too much time in the room. It was behind three sets of locked doors. <laughs> So no one could get into it unless they went through all three locked doors. Which, again, he never spent time in there. But he did know the room that he would spend the most time in. It's obviously going to be his office or his study. So where to put that? Travis, you said stables. That was your first guess. Yeah. Because he had big stables. They were on the ground floor. He loved horses. He always had horses. And so there was dozens of them uh, on the estate, always shitting, making good manure for him. Talked about his ventilation system before. Alfred came up with the genius idea. He put his study and office directly over the stables with special filtration pipes that went down to where they would shovel all the horse shit. So that way the manure would just seep <laughs> right through these pipes and was pumped directly into his office, oh. which had sealed windows. Oh, so no. it was a closed system of just horse shit from ground floor into his office. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> it's like working in a porta potty. <laughs> I love that. I think it's so good that he just did it. The guys like building a... it were like, "What? wait, what are we doing here? We're running <laughs> the poopy duty area into the office. It's going to be closed. And he's like, don't question my genius. I have a bedroom. That you'll never be able to get into. In fact, <laughs> I forgot the lock. The so I will never man. get in. 
I don't know. Tom, the I, lock for door one is between two and three. I'm stuck. I, I love the idea God. of working in a porter potty. I'm just imagining some guy in an office like, oh, yeah, I'll work remote. You know, COVID's happening. <laughs> and he's just like, I've got this mobile office that I bring around. And it's in a fucking porter potty. <laughs> Tiny home living. Yeah, it's like the, it's like the it's He's the like, same it's kind of mental. IBS, it's great. <laughs> it's kind of like the same mentality of those sick people who are like, "Yeah, tiny homes. This is the future." It's just like, awesome, awesome, man. Cool. Uh, this is a vacation at best. You will get <laughs> yeah. sick of this in no time. You don't want to be able to reach your arms to both walls. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be able to clean the uh, the the toilet of the horse manure you brought in here and cut the carrots for the horse at the same time <laughs> ever. <laughs> And this guy's kind of this is a big place, right? This, yeah, oh this, yeah. It's a big, it's like a big classic 19th century estate. Right. So what's happening here is that he is he is living in the brain of a tiny home person, but with an ever expanding horizon of industrious nature. Yeah. Just building a retard factory to live in. Yeah, and he's like a bajillionaire, so he just has all the money to spend on any whim he thinks of. That's great. This guy Connor, is awesome. Connor, I got a question because it kind of refers back to his home. But we have did this guy have like weird dietary thing? Like, did he eat weird shit too? Because like I'm assuming there was probably a kitchen with a kitchen staff, and he's it probably not cooking his own food. The book I read didn't really get into it. I think it was for him probably just something. It was just fuel. Like I, he probably had his weird little habits, but there was nothing so notable about. He was always really gaunt, so he probably didn't even eat that much. Uh, like okay. he, I wouldn't be surprised if he was the type of guy where like the kitchen staff made like feasts, and he would just run through, grab a hunk of bread, and like just chew it on the way to the factory. <laughs> right. That's he strikes me as that type of guy. I don't have time to chew or, or cut up this steak. I'm just going to eat bread. Yeah. Like I wouldn't be for, for surprised if he forgot to eat meals multiple times a day. Got yeah, you. he's like Silas Barnaby looking. Um, he's such a yeah. weird looking guy. Yeah, breadsticks uh, galore. You hear all this about him, and then you look at him, and you're like, oh, now I can see that man doing all this. <laughs> yeah. He looks like a harmless guy in a bar. You know when you, you're you just yeah. in a dive, and you see the one guy at the end of the bar who everyone seems to know and is not alarmed by, but they're just going to sit there, and, and you're going to watch him be sad? Yeah, and then you start talking to him, and he's talking about the health benefits of huffing manure. And right. Like, Ooh, maybe there's a reason you're alone at this yeah. point. <laughs> you stay over there. I'm gonna go play some pool. Yeah. <laughs> so Alfred's got the his his plans for his home are all set. There's just one problem, because when he finally lays the cornerstone in early 1870, uh, he had this big plan for all the limestone is going to be imported from this one quarry just outside of Paris. And then France and Germany go to war. Breaks out right as uh, Alfred's trying to get his limestone sent in. And even throughout like the first four or five months of the war, he was illegally like working with the French to have his limestone shipped to his house while he's selling cannons to the Prussian armies that's invading France. Uh, never stop business. Yeah, right? no. never stops. Never stop. And business. nor does my personal life. I need to keep building my house. I need that limestone. I mean, how much does the war really affect him? He's coming out on top all the time. Yeah. He doesn't care who's dying. How could you care? I wouldn't. Not care. when you're the one killing them all. Yeah, exactly. Hey, I'm just making these guns, and you're yeah. the one pulling them triggers. Right now, Travis, you were talking about small little 19th century wars 
This yeah. is not one of those. This is like probably I would I would say it's the most important war pre World War One. Okay. The Franco Prussian War of eighteen seventy. Because for us looking back on it, you know, we think of Germany immediately the two world wars. At the time, Germany was just this backwater still. And even though they beat the Austrians and even though they beat the Danes, everyone was like, well, they're going to war with France. France is going to destroy them. Even the Germans weren't that confident. Uh, the German high command didn't have any offensive like war plans at the time because their whole idea was, well, the French are going to invade us. Then we have to repel them. And then how do we fight? So when the war starts, the French don't invade, and the Germans are just kind of sitting there like, oh, I guess they're not going to invade us. Um, oh, so whole... like they declared war, and then they were both kind of like, who's going to make the first move kind of thing? Yeah, both okay. of them were kind of just standing there. And it was actually it was this whole diplomatic thing where Bismarck basically tricked the French emperor into declaring war against Germany so that Germany could have like the upper hand morally, I guess. Um, but all that aside... Everyone thinks the French are going to win because of they have the chase pot rifle, which is like this uh, standard issue rifle that has twice the range of the Prussian counterpart, and they have like a, a Gatling gun um, that no one else has at this time. It's called the like military loose or something like that. Some French word shoots twenty barrels at a time. Everyone's like, "Oh, French are going to mop up the Germans in no time." What they did not have is Krupp steel cannons. Because the Germans were armed with Krupp six-pounders that had triple the accuracy of the French counterpart, twice the rate of fire, and over 1.3 times the range. So while the French were like still moving up their artillery, the Prussian artillery could just destroy the whole thing before it was even in position to shoot back. Artillery is important, man. That's how you win battles. Yeah. Yeah, the, the weapons. Fran That's how war is. This, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is like the first time that a... European powers are going to war, and one side has a military edge, like technology edge like this. Like, it's never happened before, or even since. Like, it would always be an evil playing field, but for this war, the Prussian artillery is just so, so much better because of Krupp. Right, two European nations going together, because Europeans love to roll yeah, through other people. <laughs> yeah. And it's all thanks to my delicious horse apples. Yes, <laughs> they gave me the inspiration to wipe out those stinky French people. You know what horses can't eat? Horseradish. So, <laughs> and the, you know what the French don't use? Horseradish, so use garlic. I don't know where I'm going with this. That is actually 100% true. Horseradish is it's poisonous, poisonous. To, yes, to horses. I know that. Really? Yeah. Yep. Huh. So if you ever need to kill a horse... They should call it horse poison, then. Go to the international aisle or the uh, kosher section. Yeah. And, Can you uh, pass me a little of the horse poison sauce? I yeah. want to throw it on my roast beef. Like. Yeah. Mr. Ed's been Jewed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, little horse, stop trying to eat my steaks, please. So, this whole war, everyone, like I said, expecting the French to cruise, cruise right over him. Um, and in the small, like, uh, group, like, unit-to-unit -unit engagements, the French are actually just wiping the floor of the Prussians. But in the big battles, the artillery is just completely going the other way. The war ends basically within a month. Despite everyone thinking this is going to drag on for a year or so and the French are going to win, in a single month, the Germans have destroyed two French armies at Metz and Sedan. And at Sedan, they actually captured Napoleon III 
by surrounding the entire army and just pounding them with cannon. Dang. And so they had captured the French Emperor. There were 250,000 French prisoners of war and about 80,000 dead, all from, mostly from artillery, within a month. Dang. This is, like, unprecedented. It, it's so shocking that no one can even really wrap their heads around it at the time. Yeah, and also you were like you were saying, you mentioned it earlier, is that like France is a big deal. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like they were the military power yeah. of Europe at the time. And then in a month, the Germans just walked right over them. Yeah. Whoa. Gotta now, watch out for Guatemala. They might take over America. You know what I'm saying? It would <laughs> almost be comparable yeah. if like Latin America <laughs> unified within a five year period and then conquered parts of the US. Yeah. I mean, it's doable. Uh they you know, they're they're hardworking folk. Yeah. Industrious. <laughs> yes. Now, even though the war was decided within this first month of fighting, uh, it would drag on for like a year because they're, uh, the French basically don't surrender because they hated Napoleon III. So they're like, fuck you, keep our emperor, we're going to keep fighting. But for all <laughs> intents and purposes, it's just like, all right, the fighting will just determine the terms of the peace treaty, not who won this war, you know? Right. Uh, when Napoleon actually surrendered, he goes up to Otto von Bismarck and says, I congratulate you on your army, but above all, on your artillery. Mine was so inferior. So basically, Krupp, saying that Krupp won this war for them. And Alfred, just for all this that's going on, where it's like his crowning achievement, he is the reason that Prussia is now victorious. He did not even know about it because he kept trying to write letters to get his limestone so that he could build his house. <laughs> <laughs> he was just ignoring the use of the war because he's like, well, what, is the quarry open? Can I get my limestone? Oh, my God. Priorities, man. Yeah. I got to build my outhouse. I, <laughs> Tom, I feel like we've seen people like that thousands of times when we worked in the deli. You guys got the new Liverwurston? Yeah, you got Liverwurst still. Oh, you know what I mean? It's those people that just like they need to get their one fucking slice of meat. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's like they. It'd be like if those people won like two hundred bucks on a scratcher and then were mad that the liverwurst wasn't back. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you get some real dumb people. Um, it's fun. I don't know. I was gonna talk more about meat, but I think that would be too much of a tangent for the episode. So let's continue. Meat's never All a right. tangent. Well, finally, Alfred gets the news that his cannons have basically won Germany a major war in a month. And he's like, awesome. Now he's exploding with patriotism. He's the most Prussian guy you'll ever find at this time. And he does some pretty remarkable stuff that uh, is like part of this weird dichotomy where he's an international arms dealer. But right after the war, like he hears about this, he sets up uh, pension funds for disabled soldiers he builds field hospitals in occupied France just on his own cost. Um, he sets up a fund for money to be paid to widows that were made during the war. Um, and all these other things, like he sends a bonus to his group in year, like just becomes the most magnanimous guy you could imagine for this three month stretch after the war is over. Sweet. Rolling it. Yeah. Uh, so part of the war that's like dragging on is Paris is surrounded. This is the Paris Commune of 1870, if you ever heard of that, where the people rose up, declared a republic. It's almost like a proto-socialist state in 1870, just in Paris. And they keep fighting. And it's Krupp cannons that are surrounding and besieging Paris, just shelling the shit out of the city. 
in a single three-week period, uh, 12,000 corrupt shells fall on Paris. Shit. Uh, Bismarck at one point said we should just shell the entire city to rubble as a warning message. And everyone else is like, eh, maybe not. Maybe we shouldn't commit heinous war crimes just to send a message. Yeah, that's not really sending a message. That's like killing yeah. someone's family and being like, do as I, I say them. or else. <laughs> uh, well, or else what? You just killed them all. Yeah. Well, I mean, the uh, the Americans weren't too, uh, they didn't believe in that in Japan or Germany. Because yeah. I mean, we pretty much uh, wiped Dresden off the map. Well, the, the, well, that and then also, like, Truman's an idiot. Like, I, I'm excited to cover Truman because he was just such a, he was such a small penis. You know, like, his everything about his personality was just like, nope, we're going to do it because I can. <laughs> like he had I those, need to show him. He had giant shoes to fill. Shoes that didn't even walk. Yeah, by the shoes, way. That, shoes that just sat. Yeah, yeah even just, treads. Good yeah. treads on those shoes. So he like just made every strong arm move. And like, sure, you ended the war, but I, I, I actually don't care. So I don't know why I'm talking like this. Well, um, the Paris Commune is one of the first instances of a European power just indiscriminately shelling the capital city of another European power. Um, and that was because made possible by Krupp Cannon. Sweet. Thank you, Krupps. Brought to you by yeah. Krupps. Um, the Paris Commune is a cool thing. Like, it's fun. There's so many interesting things that happen with it. And one of the cool things is because they're surrounded and besieged, uh, obviously no way in or out. But it's the 1870s, so how do they send messages and sometimes do food runs? Hot air balloons. So there are a total of like 60 or 70 hot air balloons that just take off in Paris, fly over the German lines, and then like get messages out like that. And so what does Alfred Krupp do in his meantime? He builds the world's first ever anti-aircraft gun, where it's a special artillery piece designed to shoot down hot air balloons. Oh, that's pretty badass. (laughs) Yeah. And this is the part of Alfred's life, like now that the cannon factory is kind of just a perpetual motion machine at this point. He starts to come up with weirder and weirder uh, plans for guns. And that's kind of like the first one that you'll see. Um, We'll get into them later where they just get weird and strange and non-practical, but you know, thinking outside the box, making up artillery, uh, anti-aircraft. Pretty cool. There's a very jealous part of me that wants one of these guns, not just for hot air balloons, but for any enthusiast of any hobby. Because I am jealous of people who have genuine passions about things that they don't hate. Bird watching, things of the nature. I would love to shoot all these people. That would be my hobby. <laughs> what about the choo-choo people? I want them dead. But I'm, I'm not, not going to do this. Like, I'm not doing This is a, a sick world I live in. Some people are furries. Other people are internal murderers. Uh, and that's okay. that's me. I admit that. Uh Never going to act these fantasies out, but uh, it's fun to think about. I I will be really honest. It's very fun to think about just shooting people who are loving life. Yeah. See, I just think that those enthusiasts should all have sex together. Like, all the bird watchers have an orgy while watching birds, and the choo-choo men (laughs) get in a human centipede line and just choo-choo down the railroad. Well, that's your, like, pa- your passion is just... Uh, people- I think orgies is yeah. the passion you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, always talk about holes and places to stick things and dowels and stuff. That is kind of where your head is at uh, in comparison to where mine is, which I just described. So I respect yours 
because you don't do it in my face. And you seem miserable half the time, so I can respect that. <laughs> well, speaking of happy people, this is probably the happiest Alfred will ever be. Because uh, when the war is over, everyone is looking around and recognizes that it's Krupp Steel that won the day. Krupp Cannons are the future. And everyone who's anyone is now trying to buy Krupp Cannon. Um... And he's selling to everyone. He This is when he's just like opens up the books and he is arming everybody in Latin America. Um, in fact, I think most Krupp cannons that still exist from this period are in Latin America as like, um, what's it called? Monuments. You know how like sometimes people just have an artillery piece as like a monument to a war or something like that? Yeah. Um, when you look up Krupp cannon, a lot of them are just like, this is a monument in like La Paz or in Ecuador or in Chile for all these different wars that he was funneling weapons to. I, I thought you were going to say they were still active in there. <laughs> <Are they? laughs> well, they probably are. It's good steel, you know? Uh, he's selling to Japan. He's selling to China. He's selling to uh, India, I think. And when someone uh, talks to him about this, he writes that he's only giving these people the worst guns and only, he's only given the best guns to the prussians he says quote i sell inferior guns to inferior races because they can blow their enemies to bits well enough with these oh that's like a that's like a don rickles from dirty work kind of thing like, <laughs> eh, they don't care just give them the garbage they're gonna be blowing up sand anyway yeah. <laughs> Uh, is he selling to the USA? Are we using are we using their, his guns? Um, I don't think so because this is in the 1870s is when like U.S. steel takes off. Okay, and Pittsburgh so dog. It, yeah, and so it's also the robber barons are like not letting the American government buy from anyone that's not American. Okay, so I, the U.S. was never one of his major customers outside of the wheels, the railroad wheels. And it's even now in the late 1870s is when that starts to fall off finally. And then the U.S., he just doesn't have a market in the U.S. Um, basically after 1880 because the U.S. steel is just so dominant. But in Europe, he's still the seller. Well, the military dude. wise, not what's happening in the States. Like, right. Yeah. We yeah. finished the, um, the what's Civil it War's the, over. The Civil so it's War's like Reconstruction over. era. There's not like I don't think there's a huge market for it. We had like, those weird like moment. border wars with Latin America f- and shit it's like the, that. It's the Native American yeah. wars, so it's like there's no need for cannon anyway. You just yeah. need muskets. It's just Texas defining barbecue over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Alfred keeps uh, tinkering with his designs, though. He's um, extending ranges, uh, extending firepower, muzzle velocity, all these technical things. And despite this huge boom in business... He's not doing well fiscally because he's just constantly overextending. Um, he's now buying iron mines all over the Europe, especially in Spain, because he's like, I want low phosphorus iron, and all the iron around here is high in phosphorus. I don't know, it's a technical thing. He buys his own fleet of cargo ships because he's sick of going through middlemen, so now he has a navy, basically. Very smart um, to do nowadays, buy your own cargo containers yeah. if you're in shipping. Become yeah, a and navy. So he's one of the first to start doing like vertical integration, you know, like buying everything from the raw materials all the way to the moment it's on sale. And he's buying out small competitors too. Uh, he wanted to secure enough raw materials for the next three generations of Krups. And with like building in mind that 
as they expand, they'll need more and more. So that's just how much he's buying to give a picture of Damn. it. He, he knows that it's gonna demand is gonna increase, but he wants 99 years of resources, basically, is what he says. And all this time, he's constantly asking the Prussian government to just give him money to do this, because he's like, well, I'm your arms dealer. You should give me money to do all these things. And they're like, yes, but you're also still selling guns to our enemies. And he's like, yeah, and <laughs> you should still give me more money. God. Uh, his house is finally done in 1873. He can move in. Um, he hates it almost immediately. He thinks that it has developed a personality and that the house specifically doesn't like him and like oh. goes out of its way to make his life miserable. This is what his belief is. It's the um, ghost of that one time he jerked off the Siemens that died. It's yes. the, yeah. the, the, they're they're haunting him. him in every it's, corner of the house. It's the ghost of all the horse meat he ate <laughs> um, because they're like, stop smelling my shit, you stupid idiot. Yeah. Uh, the ventilation system isn't working um, because, again, it's like he's like you said, he's making HVAC in the 1870s, but with no electricity. So the vents don't really work that well. It's probably uh, rats and shit living in there. Little raccoons yeah. and fucking little squirrels. Uh, Berta hates it. She doesn't like the house. She just finds it awful because no I don't think anyone would like the house. No surprise there. Yeah, yeah. there's no no giant Parisian dongs or wherever she's hanging. Nice, nice dongs. Yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so despite this, uh, all of his overextending in, uh, his materials acquisition, uh, the wheels, the wheels keep turning because he's keeps selling railroad wheels. That's like his saving grace throughout this, um, is that they, everyone just loves his wheels, I guess. Um, but that doesn't stop him from continuing to, uh, tinker with his arms wheels and make better and better cannon. Uh, now, now, Alfred, top of his game, what else is there to do except go into politics, right? Of course. Oh, yeah. Because Alfred, like he I had said in the last episode, he thought he was the medieval lord of Essen so that he should take care of his people. So he's building barracks. Uh, there are Krupp schools. All the storefronts are run by the Krupps. Um, he's building churches that are staffed by Krupp pastors. And basically, Essen turns into the Krupp company town like you know how we've heard about company towns in this period yeah. Essen, the city of like two hundred thousand people is the krupp company town wow. so you would say that krupp was like the ted cruz of essen it's very uh, strong the ted man cruz, the, the strong man <laughs> the strong, strong man? man i don't even think people uh, that know. vote for ted cruz think he's strong <laughs> uh but we talked about that with hershey um which I think we brought up on the last episode. Who else? Do, who else did this? Uh, Jacob Fugger, the other German, right? Did that Germans are all about that. Germans are all about the company. Yeah, now. yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. Ba- Bath, Maine is like that. That's um, everyone who works in that town is actually kind of owned by the military to some degree. It's not technically this, but like everyone who works there is worth anything. Works on the uh, on the. Uh, what what do they call those? The uh, wow, I'm totally blanking. The navy ships that were the the planes, submarines, were, aircraft, aircraft carriers. carriers. F, yeah, I don't know why I just blanked on that. The aircraft carriers. That's where they build them. Bath, Maine. Oh. So if you go there, you see like these two projects they're working on, and it's all military stuff. It's crazy. Well, that's uh, like it, um, parts of uh, Long Island were like Grumman factory towns. 
Yeah, well, I was going to say that's like pretty much every Midwestern town that isn't a city where Walmart is the company town. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I got to say, man, it's the saddest thing what happened. Like uh, touring and stopping in towns and, and like seeing a town where there was just nothing. It was storefronts and now it's just Walmart and people just oh, yeah. seem to like totally accept this. Uh-huh. It's like, yeah. what, like, what is, it's real. Like all that, that South Park shit is real. It's crazy. Yeah. Like we it don't see crazy. that scale on Long Island, but no. th- like these places are just shot. Yeah, you got your Walmart. Everyone in the town works from Walmart. That's it. Yeah, there's like Shops three other Walmart. companies. There's a gas station. It's like, yeah. I remember that- being in a, a town in Oklahoma where there was this venue, and uh, the venue we were playing was in the middle of the town. Uh, that was fairly depressed. It was a big space, but every shop outside was just shut. Uh, with a lot of them had the uh, all of their material inside too. Like we walked past a sporting place, a, a kayaking shop that had been shut down for like years. And there was just kayaks in the window, like that's creepy. Wild. But that's serious stuff. This is a uh, history show with a comic edge. So let's get back into this. Yeah. So Alfred, let's get back into the jokes about mixing religions because that was another thing Alfred was doing right now. Wait, okay. he the, the, didn't like it, or he liked it. He liked well, to mix up. Depend on your religion, because uh, one of the reasons that the Prussian government loved what Alfred was doing with this is he's mixing the German Protestants and the German Catholics. He's like, ta- he's one of the first that's like, no, we're one German people. We're not Catholic or Protestant. But, you know, Jews, no way. Get out of here. Of course. <laughs> Strictly verboten. So he's, like, trying to make, like, the Church of Germany. Like, how they have the Church of England, where it's like, this is He a wants church. the Church of Krupp, and then oh, okay. just happen to speak German in the Church of Krupp. Oh, okay. I think all it's right. easier to unite under, like, that, all right, you're a German first, and then you have that religion. As opposed exactly. to, like, uh, I'm this religion, and then second, German. Yeah. So the... He kind of sets a framework um, with all these social programs that he's doing for his workers because he runs out this big, long directive um, that is lays out what the firm should expect of their loyal of their uh, employees and what the employees should expect of the firm. And he creates a health service, a relief fund, pensions, old age homes, life insurance policies and all these other like hugely progressive things that no one had ever heard of until he laid it out and was like this is what the firm the employees should expect of this firm which is pretty okay. revolutionary it also oh, oh i'm well, sorry I, I remember the other the other company that we talked about on the show that did something similar this was the uh, cords company oh really and they, oh, yeah. and they were also very like weirdly religious uh, yeah they were um, and then they eventually formed the conservative party in America. But like, I think that in like the late 1800s, they were doing this as well. They had this whole thing where you were part of the company, you were part of the community. We had values that existed in the entire community. It's a salary man. Damn it. Yeah. yeah. Salary man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this whole program is like so revolutionary that um, in the later 1880s, after Alfred's gone, the German government when they create their social program, they cite his document multiple times as like, we're going to do it like this because that's what the Krupps do and it works. It's like, we're going to create a social fund for based off what the Krupps do because it works, you know? There's some drawbacks, though, of the document. 
when you get to the part of what the firm should expect of their employees. For instance, undying loyalty and never leaving the company ever. Okay. <laughs> to the point that any time a, like a minor like handyman would leave, Alfred would get paranoid and like send spies after them and make sure they weren't giving up secrets. <laughs> so um, this is basically just like this is basically just like signing up for a Verizon plan nowadays. Yeah, it's like would you want to give up your freedom in exchange for all your needs being met? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, kind of... I was going to say a cult, but I think Verizon's a little more on point. Yeah. Yeah, the document also creates um, the first ever industrial snooping campaign where employees are encouraged to spy on other employees, and there's like a whole division of spies in the company that are just to spy at other people. Um, They're still locking the employees inside the factory. That has never stopped that practice. That's still ongoing (laughs) with this social program. It's good. And if they were rats, you can chew your way to the top. If you're loyal to the crops, you have nothing to worry about. Exactly. If if you're following step one through ten, then us locking in you here, uh, locking you in here, step eleven, no problem. Did -hmm. the foundry have proper lighted exit signs? Oh. Some, some. Exits. <laughs> Exits. What? Exit Exit would be into the forge. You just yeah, throw yourself you go, you in. You go from one part to the factory to the yeah. other. He just cloned the factory. And the exit, <laughs> if, if it goes on fire, you have to run to the other factory and continue working. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of this was also in response to the socialism, which was gaining steam at this point. Alfred is a big hater of so, so, all things socialist. Shout out. Um, so... He's basically lays out laws like you're never going to hire, get hired if you ever partake in a strike, no matter what type of strike it is. So no strike breaking. Um, there was a, bu- a bunch of newspapers that were banned and things like that. Mm. Um, he almost started uh, a uniform thing where they would all wear uniforms that would have like military ranks on them, but in within the Krupp employee system. So... Mm. But they they backed off of that because they're like no 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 Alfred we can't we can't we can't make our own military just yet. <laughs> yeah, it's like North Korea. Yeah, uh, he's telling his voters how to work. If anyone is found out to have voted for a socialist, they'd be fired, and they would lose all that pension and all that healthcare stuff. Um, as would their family, obviously. It's funny. Yeah, if you vote is- for a socialist, you'll lose all those socialist benefits. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. It's funny because this. It, it, now that uh, we're talking about it, this really does remind me of the Coors family system. And I wonder if, because the Coors family were known to travel back to Germany. They're originally German. I wonder if maybe they got inspired by this I'm guy. Su- I'm sure they must have been. Yeah. Because um, he's all, yeah, like I say, he's dictating what they could wear. This led to a bunch of, and they would get fined also. There was always these little fines. So like if you did one thing wrong, you'd get like docked your pay a little bit. Um, my favorite of the anecdotes from this period is a one of like the floor managers got fired because his landlady wrapped up his lunch in a newspaper that was prohibited to be on Krupp grounds. And so when he took out his lunch, it was in this newspaper and they were like, oh, you're fired. Oh, no. And now you've lost your pension because your landlady wrapped it your sandwich in the new york times or something that happened to me once because i usually used porn magazines as napkins and i went to work and i was wiping my face with titties and they're like yeah. that's inappropriate 
I gotta get this ketchup off my face with these uh, two 80s looking women shaving their vaginas. <laughs> Can you pass me that penthouse? I need to blow my nose. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. You know, I gotta say, like, it's very easy to say, oh, this sounds terrible. Like we're an American, we're American citizens, and we have our problems with our our system here. But that's this is this sounds unacceptable. But I know, I know myself. I'm dumb, so if I were to be in the corrupt system, I'd probably love it. Mm-hmm. I'd probably yeah, be like, great. I'd probably be the biggest rat. <laughs> <laughs> what you reading over there? What you doing? What, yeah, wait, yeah. you're telling me you're providing my health care? Oh yeah, no, Jimmy over there has been reading <laughs> the prof. I don't know. He just told me about this dream he had the other night, and it sounded pretty real to me. It might be influencing him to think about voting for a socialist. Yeah. <laughs> Let's can kill I get him. The, yeah, can, can I, I use get one the, of those guns, those safety guns? Can I get the super health insurance if I rat on people? <laughs> yeah. Can I get my teeth done? Does dental come with, like, five ratting outs, or do I need ten to get dental? You know what? Mr. Krupp, I read the paperwork. I'm doing this because I am loyal. I want nothing in return for ratting out this fellow who yeah. I just yesterday called friend. <laughs> I just want Com- some of that good horse shit. That's company me. values. Company what? synergy, company values. That's oh, right. Yeah. Big synergy guy. All right. So Alfred now um, is like, oh, <laughs> one thing quick. So he's this tyrannical with the office. He's just as tyrannical in his home life. Um, because he remember he's got this house with all these corridors and nooks and crannies. It also has a bunch of spy doors where he can see through to other door with things Ooh. that other people can't. Um, and so guests that were staying in his house would often wake up to notes that he had written them in the dark and like left under their door. Ooh. Where it would be anything is for ranging from like a compliment to like your clothes are out of style to <laughs> one time kicking an unmarried couple out of the house with a note because he saw them kissing. So like, oh no. He wrote them a note. He like saw them kissing one, like one point in the day. Then that night scribbled a note and like shoved it under their door that said like, pack your bags and leave at once. <laughs> like signed so Alfred Trapp. Yeah. No smooching. I like did, the wait, out did, of style bit because isn't he the guy who went to England in an old timey top hat? Yeah. Like, yeah. Hello, I like, like to have tea with you. I'm from one, Britain, also. Yeah, that one was because um, people had a habit of wearing black stockings because of the smog, even though it wasn't as bad in like the estate. It was still the industrial area, so they'd wear black stockings, and he's like, uh, white stockings are in right now, you fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they're like, you, your ha- you dummy. Yeah. And like, they're like, your house is fucking disgusting. Why the hell would <laughs> I wear white? Reeks of, reeks of horse shit. <laughs> and there's no ventilation. Do you know if he had, uh, like, the Scooby-Doo painting? Did he have any artwork up? I'm assuming this is a very minimalist house, but His... uh, did he have Scooby-Doo paintings where he could look through the eyes and go like, Ugh. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if he did that. I think he he slowly put in artwork, but then when his son takes over, it becomes one of like the great houses of art collection at the time. Oh, okay. Um, but with Alfred, uh, not that much. Yeah, I'm th- I'm thinking very like uh, minimalist, like those '70s like style buildings where it's just like nothing. It's very boring. Yeah. Like you want to kill yourself. Well, again, remember, there's no wood paneling at all. It's yeah. all just <laughs> stone or steel. Right. I could imagine some of his artwork just being chunks of steel ingots of yeah. sorts and yeah. just like yeah look at that one like a surfboard in the one. corner in venice beach look at that that one's look really at, heavy 
<laughs> I had Ron John carved into it. I've never surfed, but I uh, I want to feel <laughs> like I've been somewhere. <laughs> I've never seen the ocean, yeah. but <laughs> I don't care for the ocean. I own several boats, but they're not <laughs> yeah. for me. Yeah. They're it's made out of steel. concrete for and my steel. Children. Yeah, my children. <laughs> and this is my children. Uh, here's a, a steel leg I had made. Prototype. Here's my um, Lexington. <laughs> so this is all happening. Alfred's, uh, you know, just tyrannical control over the company and his personal life. This is when he decides to get into politics now. Uh, like I said, fearful of the socialist menace, as he called it. And so he decides to run for the Reichstag elections, which, again, the Reichstag at this point has no real power. So these, go- these elections are kind of just for a sham. And he runs. He loses to a member of the Catholic Party, which is still, like, to the left of where he is. Like, he's still pretty far right wing, but, again, not socialist. Like, it's just right. a Catholic Party member. Um, and he loses his mind. He, there's a pretty good chance that he lost because a lot of Krupp workers, when they read his name on the ballot, simply saw Krupp and just thought it was like an imprint on the ballot because everything else in their life had Krupp written on it. (laughs) So like that was one of the theories as to why they lost because he didn't campaign. He was like, well, I'm running for a seat in Essen. I'm going to win. I'm not going to tell anyone I'm running. So then when his workers went to vote, they probably were like, oh, these ballots are made by us, obviously. I'm going to vote for this guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious. Uh, he's upset. Um, and then in the next series of elections, he puts his son up. So little Fritz, who's like 20, in his like late 20s at this point and has done nothing. He is running for government. He also loses despite heavy campaigning. And both times when they lost the election, it was just their local election. His party won the majority of votes each time and won the majority of the seats each time. But when his son loses, he gets so upset that he sends out orders to demolish the factory on the spot. And he's like, we're going to blow it up because we lost. And everyone's like, whoa, we might have lost this one election, but the conservatives still overwhelmingly are controlling the government. And he's like, no, 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 blow it all up. Fuck them all. Oh, and this shit. is when he's starting to lose his hold on reality a little. Uh, well, you Just know, now? Little, f- <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> little Fritz, I mean, I mean, he was, he was running that, on that platform, make Essen Krupp again. And, yeah, uh, make Essen Krupp. It's kind of weird that's, uh, that's what he's saying because it's already very Krupp. So Alfred, his political dreams are dead, but they were never really his dreams to begin with. Just kind of like a power grab for him. And I mean, even if he won, he probably never would have sat in like and voted he would never have like wanted to leave the factory for that long um but germany uh is on the rise at this point and alfred's fortunes continue to rise with it so much so that he views the german state as his partner to the point that he continually orders around foreign diplomats as if they're his salesmen so (laughs) at one point his son is in egypt and he writes to his son and is like you need to go to the foreign minister i'm sending him cannon samples to bring to the egyptian king or whatever and the son's like dad that's the german diplomat he's like yeah yeah no but he's he understands he can send the sales orders back to us don't worry my god it would be like if raytheon is contacting u.s embassies to sell to other governments oh wait oh wait Wait a minute wait Wait a minute (laughs) yeah so he's the first one really doing that uh, paving the way for Raytheon and Boeing and all of them. You hear that, hear that, Lockheed? You owe this man a lot of credit. Yeah, they really do. 
Um, he's still selling to every other country in the world with the exception of England and France. And he's always going to be sad that he's not selling to England. Um, when the Russian, Russo-Turkish war breaks out, both of them are armed with entirely Krupp cannon artilleries. And so when the war ends, Alfred is publishing testimonials from both sides testifying how good the cannons were for them. Just a bunch of shell shock Turkish yeah. dudes. Like, <laughs> like it went really well. We were really glad we had Krupp cannons on our yeah. side. Just when we thought that our Krupp guns were destroying them, we got destroyed too because the Krupp cannons were on their side. It was Little a really Ach- even fight. <laughs> Little Ahmed was crying for his mommy when he heard these cannons. Yeah. Um, Make Cry to your mommy too. And again, he's crops. always... <laughs> cry to your mommy too. That's the that's the motto. Um, and again, he's still uh, claiming that he's always selling other countries' inferior guns and he only reserves the best for the Prussians, which is somewhat true in that like when he does come up with something new, he'll show it to the Prussians first, but that doesn't mean like that the next day he's not sending it also to the Russians. Um, yeah, he's just always double dealing like this. I feel like that, yeah, and that's like going back to modern times, I feel like that's just standard fare for... Uh modern arms dealers yeah they'll probably be they'll probably show the u.s government government first when they're like i don't know who wants this somali pirates you want it yeah. i don't know who cares yeah somalia doesn't have any money yeah well they see they get the used stuff right they get the bargain bin guns exactly. they get what they That's steal what from other deal. people <laughs> yeah uh so this led to some touchy subjects between uh alfred and wilhelm um, because Wilhelm is always kind of asking Alfred, like, all right, you, you saw that we just won a war purely because we had your guns and they didn't. Maybe you should stop selling your guns to everybody. And Alfred responded, no, 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 it's just good business. And if you really wanted me to stop, you can just subsidize my entire factory. And Alfred was like, and the, well, the government would always back off and be like, well, we can't do that. So no thanks. Well, that's where they messed up. Mm-hmm. They should have just done that and retired Krupp to, a, to work at a blockbuster. Yeah, yeah right? I mean, just Wind like Selfridge, tapes. you yeah. should be a fucking bum and we'll arrest you. <laughs> so he's also branching out. It's no longer just field cannons. He's also developing uh, like defense batteries, uh, so like coastal defense cannons. He's now making naval batteries, so guns that are designed to be on ships. Um, one time the German Navy, the Kriegsmarine, is running trials out in the North Sea when a Krupp cannon explodes, sinks one of their boats and kills 100 sailors. And the Navy is rightfully upset. They're like, hey, can we get a guarantee that this won't happen again? And Alfred goes, no. No way. <laughs> no. You're only, you're only allowed to buy from me. I will not guarantee them. So shut up. And they back down. The German Navy was like, okay, okay. We'll, we'll back off. Just please give us more Krupp cannon in the future. That's some balls. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I mean, to be honest, how are you going to guarantee, you know, like the guy could have fucking loaded the gun wrong or something. It was like price guarantees. So it'd be like, replace them. And if they're defective, you pay the bill. And he was like, no, if they're defective, it's your fault. So you pay the bill. Operator error. That's what (laughs) Apple says. Operator error. Why are you using lime wires on your iPod? It's going to crash. Do you think he did planned obsolescence? Maybe. Do you think he like... (laughs) He's like put a little fissure in the bottom so yeah, it right? explode eventually. It's perfectly cast steel except for that one little thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, Alfred has another problem arise at this point. Uh, his cannons have become so powerful 
that he no longer had anywhere in Essen to test them because <laughs> there was not a range big enough. So what does he do? He finds a plot of land nearby uh, and secures 120 different leases with 120 different farmers whose property all touch and then builds a firing range on this property. That's pretty cool. Wow. I yeah. would do that uh, if I had Krupp money. Dude. <laughs> they're like three major roads that go through the property that people use every day. And so whenever he had uh, to do test firing, he would just shut down the roadways, which was completely illegal. But there was no one that was going to stop him because there's like armed Krupp guards at the <laughs> entrance to the roads. I'm just imagining these Krupp guards armed Jesus. with like tiny cannons. Like they don't have regular <laughs> guns. They just have like tiny little cannons. <laughs> None of them have rifles. They just all have like a two inch like artillery set. <laughs> Watch out, boys. <laughs> Um, and this becomes his new favorite playground. It's a massive, massive facility. He builds, um, watchtowers. He builds bunkers that are like furnished as if they're for royalty because they are, this is where he's going to start entertaining like the heads of state of, from various countries. So like, just picture like you're going into an underground bunker with like beautiful carpeting and there's like cognac tables and there's a waiter staff and black ties and then you peer out a little slit where they're just firing like 80 millimeter howitzers over your head. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, Pretty honestly, sweet. It sounds awesome. It does it sound is. awesome. It yeah, reminds yeah. me of that scene in uh, Naked Gun 33 and a third where they're down, you know, and Nicole Smith's down there with Leslie Nielsen in the bomb <laughs> shelter and they see the, the envelope pulling out and they're like, oh, yeah. hanging out. <laughs> Imagine that, but like someone's pouring you whiskey and you're wearing mm-hmm. really nice clothing and oh, that, that would be so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, he holds a bunch of different, uh, I'll just call them galas because there's not really a better word for it, where he invites the either the head of state or like the military staff from all these different countries and is like, I'm going to put on a display, we're going to eat caviar, and we're going to watch my cannons blow shit up. And then you're going to buy them because I'll just have order sheets ready to be filled out. And this always bothered the Prussian military staff because they would go and they were like, yeah, you know, we're fellow Prussians, but everyone would either be speaking English or Italian or French. No one ever spoke German at these things, <laughs> even though it was in Germany and it was a German firm and he supplied the German military machine. Yeah, no, uh, we got to speak French. <laughs> right. Kind of like how we're just going to only speak Chinese in about 10 yeah. years. I mean, just get ahead of it. Start thinking. Get how boys. <laughs> get your Duolingo account running. Yeah. Um. He's also, this is when he starts to really make weird stuff. He's coming up with a plan for what he calls floating island guns, where he wants to build a gun battery that's like self-sufficient on the water and just could float to an enemy shore, bomb it, and then drift away with the tide. Is that called a boat? That's what everyone's like, you mean a boat? And he's like, no, 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 floating island cannon. <laughs> yeah, it seems like you're like, yeah, I'm just going to drop this cannon on a barge. Yeah. It's just, it floats away with the tide. There's like no motor. It's no, just... it's just like it floats in and it floats <laughs> okay. out. All right. And then we pick them all up when they're out of range of the batteries and then we f- sail away. <laughs> um, then he also comes up with, um, you know, like PT gunboats in the World War II. I mean, a small... PT cruiser? Exactly, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what PT the PT cruiser, cruiser. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Picture a PT cruiser with like a small cannon in the back and just like, Okay. Is it, 
uh, I, these are I, things that are going to happen I think, in World War II. I think that 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 image is too dangerous because the PT Cruiser is already probably the most excellent, uh, pleasing looking car that you know you, you just put a gun on it. I don't know. Yeah, that's why you don't see them on the road so much anymore because people are always taking those double takes and then crashing yeah. into people, rubbernecking. Yeah, yeah. they're always crashing <laughs> into the people in front of them who have stopped to look at the PT Cruiser. Uh, well, dangerous. What PT boats are is like these small little gunboats in World War II that like can fly in real uh, with like a lot of maneuverability and they have a pretty big gun. And in World War II, it's easy to make, but back then um, the cannons were so big and had such big recoil that if you put it on a small boat like this, it would capsize the boat immediately if it fired. So Alfred's plan to get around this was it would be like a Darth Maul style twin cannon where you fire both at the same time to cancel out the recoil. Oh, and so wow. one, you'd aim at the target, and the other, it just hope no one's behind you. That way you could balance out the recoil. Yeah, the wow. battleship behind you that you just deploy yeah. from. Exactly. <laughs> just make sure they're out of range, and then yeah. shoot the front gun. Yeah. Uh, then he also starts coming up with um, this idea for an armored gun, where it'd be like an artillery piece that would be surrounded by a dome of steel. Um, almost like a tank before there were tanks so that you could put them in range of the enemy artillery and it wouldn't matter because your gun could keep firing. Oh, shit. No one wanted this. No government wanted this. All of them were like, that's stupid. We're never going to make this. Why would we do that? And he's like, no, it's going to work. It's going to work. And he builds it and he, no one wants to test it. So then he volunteers to sit inside it and have uh, his own guns shoot at him at one of these galas and they oh, do it wow. so he's just sitting in this like cannon as it's being bombed by his own staff and then he walks out and he's like look i'm fine see what did i tell you no and one they bought the gun. It, really they, i mean I, that I sounds like this is su- so unnecessary Why that sounds so smart this? that's like one of the first things they try to blow up is uh artillery yeah um but then eventually his grandson or um his descendants they're going to be building panzers and tiger tanks so they eventually figure out this idea of an armored gun gotcha um now we're coming to the end of alfred's life and this whole time we talked about bertha she's always been a side figure she ran away from essen to south of france never wanted to be around him they eventually have a massive falling out because in 1882 little fritz is now 27 and he wants to marry this girl baroness marguerite von end Alfred does not like her. He thinks she's just this dumb country broad that is not fit for the uh, son of the wealthiest man in all of Europe. Is he wrong? No, not really. Um, she's she's kind of a strange character, but uh, they were just it was just like a very poor uh, royal family still. All right, and he was like, no, 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 that's not acceptable. She she uses Hess gas stations, is what you're yeah. saying? Okay. Well, I mean, the thing is, have the, has he seen her in a dirndl? You know what I'm saying? Mm. Whoa. Maybe, Alfred maybe hasn't time for that. He hasn't no, seen no. his own wife's figure in such <laughs> in, a long time. In decades. Yeah. <laughs> they're, now they're having a falling out. Yeah. Now he's so losing now, his mind. Now, now they're is, having a falling the, yeah. the, He's the form, always one-upping the, himself. He's a layer yeah. cake of insanity. <laughs> the paperwork came back. Are we having a fallout? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Circled. Am I losing my mind? Yes. <laughs> um, but it is the true falling out because... Once they have this fight, Bertha orders all of her belongings in the house packed up. She Smart. leaves via Hugel, and the two would never see each other again. This was it. Aww. Yeah. 
He Alfred tr- would try to make amends with her. He would const- he'd still be writing her letters. Um, he allowed his son to marry this girl and then had a big wedding reception. But the two would never speak again. Alfred she was just her. looking for an excuse, Bertha. Yeah. Like, I think she was finally like, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. Like, she's already locked go. into the deal. Like They've been married for long enough. They're never going to make a case where she's not going to come out of this loaded. Yeah. So yeah. just go away. Yeah. So good for her. Year, yeah. Right. Good for her. Yeah. yeah. I think she's the smartest character I've come across in this family story. Yeah. Um, in the 1880s, Alfred is now spending uh, very little of his time in the factory floor, which uh, was what he always felt was his favorite place to be. He's spending more time at the estate, just kind of scribbling away notes, writing all these little intricate orders, and trying to control everything from his estate. Uh, his son Fritz is now kind of taking over a lot of it, and we even reach a point where Fritz writes a letter to the board of directors, basically, and says, "Ignore everything coming from my dad. Like he's lost his mind completely." So now Alfred is just cramped in his little estate, huffing all this horse shit, writing orders and designing plans for things that'll never happen. Oh, you mean he's in heaven? Oh yeah, he's loving this part. <laughs> He's uh, like but, uh, he's like a pig in horse shit, a yeah. German in horse shit. He's a German in horse shit. <laughs> uh, he's kind of withering away. He's always been a gaunt figure. Now he's starting to get sickly. And dear Alfred, on July thirteenth, eighteen eighty-seven, suffers a heart attack, and he dies twenty-four hours later. However, that would not be the end of his control over the lives of the people of Essen, because he had planned out his funeral, obviously. <laughs> smart yeah he lay in state in the main hall of Essen Castle for three days where the entire city would walk by and mourn him Mm. Um, it was uh, transferred back to the Stammhaus which is the name for the cottage that his father had died in remember I said he like preserved it and uh, would move it whenever he needed to but always keep it in that state Um, it was brought back there the same place where his father had had his funeral 60 years earlier Connor wait uh, was he told to be shot out of one of his cannons? Is this the <sighs> ultimate? <laughs> Just put me in one of the cannons, shoot me into the moon. <laughs> you really have a good feel for this guy's life, Travis. He didn't do exactly that. However, the carriage that took him, took his body to all these different places was a gun carriage. So it was like the wheels of a, <laughs> like the coffin was in the place of the, where the barrel would be. Gotcha. So it uh, looked okay. like an artillery piece being wielded around. Steel coffin? <laughs> No, no, it's not a steel coffin. Not it should have been. Yeah, really. Like, of all right. the steel, to- like, you're making all these ingots. Why not just do something fun? They, they put them just as a big fuck you. They put them in a wood coffin. <laughs> yeah, that uh, was on fire. Yeah. <laughs> so he was brought to the family plot in the cemetery where he was buried. But that is not where he would rest because Essen continued to expand and his body moved at least four or five times as the cemeteries continually got pushed further and further out of the city center. And it wasn't until 1956 when his Nazi great grandson, who shared his name, Alfred, uh, built a new family estate and built like a series of crypts for all of the family members, including like his uh, his own brothers, his father, his mother and the biggest of the sepulchers and uh, basically like tombs of this area was for our friend Alfred Krupp that looked over the rest of the family burial ground in a 20 foot high tomb with bronze figures adorned by marble. No steel. Bronze? Yeah, bronze. (laughs) Come on. 
<laughs> Jeez. What, what's so up that, with these? Uh, hold on. Before we totally wrap up, what's up with these yeah. German city planners that had to move the right? body four fucking times? Like, aren't these it was people? A train station. The first one was a train station. The first one's okay. You, it's like you do it once. All right, we had to sort this out. By time number two, it's just like, are we even German anymore? What Maybe we-, we should just go, or just move it all the way. Like, yeah. why? It seemed like they moved it like two blocks. Like, just push it a little further. Yeah, uh, right. Push a little further. Yeah, a few miles, kilometers. Yeah. However, you're like yeah. half an autobahn away. Just get it out of here. We're gonna keep building. We're industrious, <laughs> mm-hmm. are we not? Well, I feel like we we covered somebody. It was somebody on the Mississippi, and the, I mean, like this is a different different problem. But they they built their graveyard along the shores or something, and it kept like eroding back, and all the bodies would flood in. <sighs> oh yeah, I think people went to New Orleans too. Yeah, people it's... need to people need to think. Wow, we're gonna put these dead bodies here. Like, come on, if you're gonna expand, if you're near a river, think about this. Well, uh, yeah, like ocean ocean level. Uh, cemeteries are typically like those above ground ones like in louisiana like the poor people they really didn't know what to do with their bodies because they weren't able to get the above ground ones so they would bury them and then those are the ones coming out the rich people Mm -hmm. figured out that like you have those big stone joints and you put the bodies in there above sea level well that's what his uh nazi great-grandson eventually figured out hey just built a big as I've always said, Nazis and people from Louisiana, they're exactly the same. Yeah. Check out they our, don't know how to bury bodies. Yeah. Check out our Dimebag Daryl episode to hear about that. <laughs> yeah. So sorry to cut you off at the end there, but I want to talk no, about that because I it's all right. I found it weird that they had to move them that many times. Yeah, yeah. right. And it was always just like a little bit, uh, just a little bit further, eh, a little bit further. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. And thus, thus ended Alfred Krupp. Oh, this boy! Wow, wow! Thank you for bringing him in. Uh, th- uh, what a what a we, maniac! We were talking about it behind the scenes, but we might we're probably going to see more of the Krups. Probably going to see more of this wild and wacky family. Yeah, well, keep you, rolling on these. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because uh, soon they're going to just own straight up slaves. <laughs> they, <laughs> will, they went from creating the modern pension system to just owning slave labor. Guess what? Spoiler alert. Germany goes through a little transformation, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, keep your eyes peeled for the latest in Germany. It's yeah. uh, very uh, aggressive. Germany. What are they up to next? Yeah, yeah Germ- Germany goes to war. Uh, again. <laughs> and Let's again. start a film series. Again. <laughs> like an old-timey, Germany goes to war the first time. <laughs> Well, Wonder what will happen if there's another time. Yeah, it's just gonna keep happening. Yeah. Anyway, they're a peaceful place now, and uh, I think they're all very sorry for what they've done. So, well, the Krups are still in business, so you can go find them. Well, I'm not sure if they're sorry about what they've done, but I'm talking uh, about the no, other. I don't think so. mm. No, 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 not at all. Nah, pro- what, what, what's to be sorry for? You've made an, a growing industry out of selling think- garbage guns to places like India and Bangladesh, which Lockheed is in India. Martin isn't sorry. Yeah, they no. be either. They're not guns, Tom. They're children. They're giving children to the world. I think they got enough children over there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, anyway. yeah, this guy's great. Um, loved it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes me want to go to a stable and see if I get smarter. Try it out. I think we should all give it a try in the next couple of weeks. Just see what happens. Yeah. I mean, most, of the, most of the horse girls I've ever talked to are, are either smart or crazy. So, um, yeah. Well, Alfred's smart and crazy, so there you go. 
All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this uh, morning edition of a part tour. Yeah, uh, this is like this is like that morning, what, Good Morning America, or whatever. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or this Sunday the morning, the one that's like, yeah, it's daytime television. This is the view. We all shaved our vaginas and showed up here happy and caffeinated. And my God, did we learn something? That's important. Mm-hmm. And we're here together. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all far away. So, uh, roastmortem.com. No, do we have that up? Roastmortemcast? Uh, yeah, com okay. for all of our things. And then go just check us out on social medias. Yeah, do it. Yeah. Uh, and Tom is going to be going into a cocoon and emerge as a new Tom in a couple episodes. Yeah. have a new boy. Yeah, mm-hmm. new boy. Just like you could hear my new boy voice voice at the very beginning of this series. I sounded completely different. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Shane, for listening. Dank of Shane's. Krupp. 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 Krupp.